it was a life and death moment for me. It's like, I'm going to take this chance because whatever I have to face on this path is better than that being stuck here. Because I saw around me what the people that didn't have there. Even I consider myself privileged to even be involved in the game of golf because that, that's what it did for me. So it's perspective for the most part, but also it's, it's, it's really like developing and adapting that attitude of gratitude mindset very, very early. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Make It Inevitable podcast. I am your host, Stephanie Zamora, and today I am so thrilled on the Expanded series. We have Vincent Cabasso. He is Zambia's first elected member of the Professional Golfers Association of America, and he founded the Raised by the World Foundation in 2017, which is also the title of his book that he released in 2020, and he has a feature film pending. Vincent, thank you so much for being here today. I am excited to join you here today, Stephanie. Thank you so much for having me. Me as well. Let's start with you sharing a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do. So I am obviously from Zambia and um, I grew up in Zambia. I moved to the United States about 10 years ago now. And currently I am operating uh, an academy as well as uh, just a few other business interests and investments. That is amazing. And I'm I'm so excited for you to be here. I'm so grateful for your time. I came across you in an article and have been looking at your work and your website, and I'm looking forward to reading your book as well, because what a journey, you know, growing up in a country where nobody else is part of the PGA. Right, right. It's It's been a journey, yeah. Yeah, and I would love to go back to your childhood and sharing a bit about the town that you grew up in and the mentality of it and how your dad introduced you to golf and just kind of how that catalyzed everything. Yes. So it's a very small mining town, Luansha it's called. And um, I was born in 87 and my dad, I am uh, the seventh and I've got uh, seven siblings. So we have eight in my family and uh, my dad worked for the copper mines in the security department. And so um, he, they do rotational work sometimes because of his job. And at and, and some point, he did some work, some security stuff at the golf club. So this is way back in the 70s. Somebody uh, eventually gave me a golf bag, but he didn't really have any interest at the point. Uh, but at some point along the way, he developed interest because the mine started encouraging all the employees to start to pick up a sport. And so my dad drew interest into golf from that. And he just, he liked it, but he liked it so much. But again, it just, the game is, is expensive fairly in those, in those countries. And it's not always the cheapest because you have to pay green fees. You have to uh, drive a caddy all the time to play. So he had tried my brother to get into it. And my other brother as well, who actually started out caddying for my dad. Uh, but he didn't really like it as much. So I was about nine years old coming up to my 10th birthday that my dad uh, got me a pushka and he had me start carrying his bag. So I drew interest from that because I would travel with my dad to all these different tournaments. And I saw him make so many mistakes. And I somehow, my stubborn self thought I could always do better. <laughs> so uh, I think it was from really just watching him play a lot and kind of just seeing the environment that I really drew my interest and I asked him to, to get me into the game. And it was very instant that the very first tournament I actually played in, I won it. And that was just love at first sight. But um, wow. 
the dynamics of that smaller town is that there's not a lot happening outside of school. And we didn't have the privilege of so much outside of school extracurricular activities. So going to the golf club and just kind of seeing the affluence around the golf club was such a big draw because outside of that, me and my friends were just, you know, playing soccer barefooted and we were, you know, hunting for birds and mice uh, in the local bushes. So the golf club, the golf course and the golf club was, uh, was a, it was a big shift for me from what I was used to a very, you want to call it depressing environment now mm-hmm. uh, to the golf club that seemed to have a lot of vibe to it. A lot of, you know, so much was going on and I couldn't just stop being there. So yeah, that's how I got into the game. I love that. Thank you for sharing. And I would love to know what that sparked in you. So the game itself, but also being in that different environment, I know that you've said in different places that this was more than just about the sport, even back then, like it kind of sparked a personal growth and exploration journey for you. So what did that look like? I think, yeah, and, and, and it's, it was very interesting because when you grow up in those environments, they're, very, they're sort of, they're, they're, they're very uh, confining. And so outside of my, my small little bubble, I didn't imagine or picture a different world outside of what I used to see. Going to school, everybody's walking. Uh, families are not really well off. So we're going to school, coming back, we're hunting for bears and mice. So that was my environment. And it's not like you really get to get outside of that environment and to see what's going on outside of that. So the golf course was my first experience to anything outside of my small little world. And that just, I think the first thing it, it triggered in me was just the, the intrigue of, uh, of, of, oh, so there's so much more than what I'm used to, but then also to see the different types of people and just the social aspect as well was just mind boggling to me. And it's just something I really wanted to be a part of from the onset, because it was just, you couldn't compare from where I was coming from to the potential exposure that I was getting from the golf club. So that was, yeah, that's where it started from. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, at what point did you realize that you wanted to go pro? And I remember seeing the numbers. Was it it's 17 million people in the country and fewer mm-hmm. than 5,000 golfers. And you're the first to be a part of the PGA. And what was that process like for you to realize that it was something that you wanted to pursue professionally and also how do you even begin to do that when nobody has gone before you in your country? That was an interesting part of my journey, really. That's where it began because um, I think I can put myself in, the, in, in that position now with, with, with greater perspective. Uh, imagine a younger person that develops a passion for this thing, but you don't really know what that means. I don't, it's not like uh, um, we didn't have the, the privilege of information. So I feel so drawn to this thing. I can't get over it. I can't stop thinking about it. Um, and I want to keep doing it, but I don't see anybody kind of drawing and you know uh, attracting the same attention for the game. And so it was uh, that became my self-discovery journey, I say in my book. It's because a lot of the emotions and the, the attraction I felt for the game of golf, I couldn't really express and I couldn't explain to other people. So I harbored a lot of those to myself but it felt like, especially that I was very quick at getting decent, um, I start playing and I'm winning and, you know, and I enjoy, I'm enjoying the thrill of going to tournaments and winning these events, but always coming back to wondering what else is there. It's like, I want to do more. I can, 
I feel there's more I can do. There's more in me. And, and it was, it was a tough thing because, um, again, my mentality was still very, 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 very small. And uh, in that aspect of my, my, I was very limited to my, my environment. And so I remember we had magazines in the in the pro shop of the in the, in the in the locker rooms of the golf club, and I would look at those magazines and I would see the different types of people and all these beautiful golf courses, but somehow there was a big disconnect between myself and them because number one I didn't see anybody that looked like me, but then also it was I somehow just ignorantly thought they were a different species. I didn't put myself in that position. And um, which was resonative to the people around me. But the more I started to, I, I got inquisitive and started to pursue this, I started feeling like that's kind of what I want to do. And that's where I really began my self-discovery journey of, okay, what does this mean to be a professional golfer? What, what is there in this? And that's when I really began my pursuit of just looking up all the magazines, reading. That's when I really developed my passion for reading, I think. Mm, that makes a lot of yeah. sense when it's something that you want to learn more about mm -hmm. and and reading whether it's online or magazines is such a great way to get information and to start learning about it and and I appreciate you sharing this so much especially the piece of not seeing anyone that looks like you and feeling like they're uh -huh. a different species from you because there are so many people that want to do something right, right. and sometimes there's no example of that and sometimes there's examples but they don't look like you their backgrounds right. are different, their experience, uh -huh. their resources, whatever it might be, their privilege is different. And right. what was it like for you? Was there anything that you had to do or anything that helped you kind of bridge that gap between, oh, they're different. And for some people, they think of that as like, they must be special or lucky or right. better or whatever it is. Like what shifted for you or what helps you to be like, I could do this too. Like, why not go for it? I, th I think it was, it came from my dad. My dad was a very positive human being. And he, um, we never had these conversations about, you know, you can do this and all these motivational conversations. But just from me observing him and the way he conducted himself, he carried himself with such confidence and so well that I never, even when he was around people that had more seniority than him, all these mining executives and all these big bosses in the, in the mines, he still carried himself so well. So I think that was an instinctive draw. And I drew inspiration from that because, but then also it helped that I was doing well because um, even some of my, you know, the wider kids or like, you know, the, the different kids from different parts of the world, um, I felt like, I would go to the golf club maybe on an empty stomach. But during the round of golf, at some point, it made me feel such a great sense of peace because I know that was my common ground. Everybody, everybody was the same. And at that point, I knew that um, they're not going to beat me. And, and me winning, I was building a lot of confidence very quickly just from winning and having them talk about me as the one that won. And, and, and somehow the golf course, I think, that's why the game has always been more than a game for me. It's because it was my place of uh, self-identity. It was kind of, it, it felt like that was the one, the perfect place for me to express myself. So playing golf, winning, not that it was just about winning, but really just doing well and being focused 
felt like that was the one moment I could really express myself without any judgment or feeling like I needed to do any better. Granted, I didn't even have a whole set of golf clubs. I made do with what we had, but mm-hmm. somehow I just found my peace on the golf course. So I think a lot of inspiration was from my dad, uh, but then also the fact that I was able to do well gave me a lot of confidence doing it. There's something so powerful too about doing what you're called to do, even if it's mm-hmm. not ultimately what you do for the rest of your life. But I really love right. how you reflected almost a sense of feeling at home, even if there was yes. challenges and obstacles and other people and other things going on, like you just, that's where you were supposed to be. Yes. And I think it's more, it's, I think we learn early from that culture, especially like in a big back, background to that is that these eight of us, we never have enough in the house. Food, like the basic common essentials, we never had enough. And you, 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 you learn very quickly to do what you can with what you have. That is the one uh, lesson that you learn in those cultures. It's like people can make the most with the very least amount of things. Yeah. And uh, being in that environment for me was that. It was like, this is what I have. And, and for some reason, um, it I always knew it was a privilege from the beginning because I knew that my friends are not playing this. The people that I grew up with, the kids that I'm found with at school, um, at the social circles, at church or anywhere, nobody's coming closer to the golf club. So I knew this was a different step from what I'm used to in my normal regular environment. So I think it was more like, I, I noticed that was an opportunity from the beginning and having the support of my dad really propelled the interest and you know uh, accelerated my passion when I was in the moment. And in the same vein, I remember reading that it was age 19, I believe, when you went to the UK. Mm-hmm. And I would love to hear more about this part of the journey because you went there. Um, yeah. Was that your first time leaving the country? No, I had because so I had started playing for Zambia national team at 13. So we used to play the regional game. So I'd gone to like South Africa, been okay. on a plane, stayed in a hotel. But the, U- the UK was a whole different experience altogether. Uh, first of all, what I went at that point, I had gone through the struggle of this is what I wanted to do. I don't have anybody around me to support me. And even when I expressed my desires, my interest to my dad, he didn't really understand it and he didn't have the money to support it. Yeah. So at this point, it was a very, very personal journey because this is what I wanted to do. And I was very determined to make it happen regardless. So I don't know if you want to talk about that aspect or the UK aspect, because uh, it's two different sides. Yeah, it's, whichever um, one you want to start with, because I know there was also the point of being there where you ran out of resources. And yes. So whichever one you want to start with, let's so I think both. I think the story starts from when I was in Zambia doing well and drawing a lot of attention and, you know, making a name for myself. There was a guy that we all looked up to, Madalito Mutia. He was really good. He played in the U.S. Open, and he is a fantastic guy and has done well so, for, uh, so, so well for him. So he got a scholarship. And at that point, our minds opened up to, like, you know, you play golf, you do so well. The next stage is to get a scholarship. But um, we started hitting roadblocks at that point because I got to a point where I was good enough to play all these international events. And remember, again, growing up, it's like, because you don't see anything else, what you have, you never really consider the fact that you don't have enough. It's when I started exposing myself and seeing what other friends I started making around the golf club had, 
that's when I started noticing not noticing the things that we didn't have. Things like a car, for instance. Things like uh, golf clubs, like golf shoes. I started noticing those things when I started getting that exposure. And it was... I don't think my dad or myself could have planned it anywhere because uh, this was supposed to be a game that I was doing so well and getting all these prizes and winning. But at the same time, it became kind of like a, a point of only reflection because I think that my dad saw my potential and mm -hmm. he felt a different type of way because he couldn't necessarily provide everything for me. And then also for me, it was um, noticing what all these other kids had and noticing and kind of seeing the difference between not having and having and just understanding privilege and knowing that I have the potential, I have the ability, but I don't have all the right tools to support me. So... Um, and it was at that point, I think, right around high school that we started looking into scholarships. I was ranked in the top five in the country at that point. And at one point, I won a tournament and I was announced that I was getting a scholarship. And that's when we really hit our biggest um, roadblock because, um, you know, we realized very quickly that some point in life, it's not so much what you, what you know, it's who you know. So... Some things happened that eventually we didn't hear anything about the scholarship that I had supposedly won. And we realized privilege and, you know, all of those things started happening. So it was, it was disappointing in a way. And when you're doing so well, you have everybody coming at you. So I, I felt like people were there to look out for me. And I think reality hit me very quickly, especially after I finished high school. I waited one year and into my second year, nothing was happening. I realized very quickly that I have to take ownership. I have to start finding a way to do this for myself because if I don't, nobody's coming to serve me. And so that's when, um, uh, that, that was a point that I wrote about 1,500 letters. I assume that uh, I was just writing sometimes without a stamp and I'll throw them in the post office and mm -hmm. hopefully somebody hit, uh, hears me back, uh, writes me back. And then... Um, at some point, I get now a response from the PGA of, uh, of Britain, and they say that they would give me a scholarship through the RNA, uh, but that there was a big balance that I needed to still find. That is when the money journey really started because it's like, okay, I have a chance to go to the UK. I know this is my one chance, and if I don't take this chance, I could clearly see what my life would be, which is very, very, very limiting if I don't take on the chance. So we struggled just to find uh, the 1,500 pounds for me to pay the balance and to get a ticket to the UK. That's when it really started. And at that point, my dad had a very strict conversation with me. He said, you know, listen, I do not have the money for you to go to the UK. And I don't know what we could do. We tried to sell the house. It was like very, very yeah. extreme measures we tried to take at that point. And... Um, we had no other way to raise the money. We tried to find loan sharks so because you couldn't get loans from the bank and things like that. It was just depressing at that stage. And so it got to the point where I have an acceptance letter to the, to the UK. I don't have the balance. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm just going to have to figure it out. So eventually, my dad, we get a loan. My dad's friend loans, lends us some money for me to get a ticket. And I find myself in the UK without the money to study. And so I always say, you know, college is supposed to be a very fun time for young kids to get into college and be excited and all of these things. But I knew going to the UK that um, as soon as I got there, 
all the money that I needed for me to survive and to pay for everything was dependent on how I find my way around uh, the country. And I wasn't expecting my parents to bring anything out for me. So that was, that was tough. Um, yeah. I did enjoy the UK of like, you know, great experience you're going in the UK, but that never left the back of my mind of what I had to do to make things happen for me. Uh, but I think that introduces me to the next set of my story, which is people and how just building relationships and all of these things and compassion and empathy and all of these things. And maybe that's where I started drawing my, uh, my own experiences of wanting to help out. Because uh, one of my very pivotal moments over there was we had a meeting with uh, the head of the international students and the director of the program. Basically, she sat me and said, do you have the money to stay in the UK? And I said, my father said he's going to sell his house and if he sells the house, he's going to send me the money. And I picture, and I, and I saw this guy, his name was Jonathan. He sat in this whole meeting. He's the one that had been responding to me in the letters because initially I had never sat on the computer at this point. Um, I would write a letter. It would take three weeks to get to the UK. They would write me back. So he's like, you need to set up an email address. I had never heard of this. And so I set up an email address and we start communicating. So I'm sitting in this meeting with Jonathan and this person, and he's just looking at me the whole time, like literally just staring at me the whole time. And I'm crying. I'm like, you know, like it's, there was, you know, I think there was also a part of me that ignorantly maybe thought that things in the Western world are different. Like I'll just go in there. Somebody will throw money at me. I didn't realize the concept of, um, any place of the world that you find yourself in, you have to put in the work. So um, that was also a bit shocking to me because I get over there thinking, you know, maybe somebody would just be, you know, sympathetic towards me and they would give me everything I needed. But it was not like that. So she basically told me that you have a month. If you don't, if you don't find the balance for you to pay for your school, we're going to have to send you back home. And this is when reality hit me. Like it was never getting easier. It felt like the more I really wanted to pursue this golf dream, I wanted it so bad. And I just kept hitting these roadblocks. But I remember Jonathan calling me to the side after that meeting. And I can't remember what the conversation was, but he taps me on the shoulder. He's like, let's see what we can do for you. And I think after him understanding my story, he realized that I really needed help. I was a kid that had the discipline. I was you know, willing to put in the work, but I just didn't have the resources and things that I really couldn't control. And I think him noticing that gave him a different perspective of where I was really coming from. So I think that was a trigger for him to take it upon himself to really just you know, take interest in me personally and yeah. want to support me. So he eventually found a way for me. He gave me his personal money for me to finish up the studies of that program and um, eventually sending me to St. Andrews, Scotland for me to go and finish uh, my, my training originally over there. But I think it was also at that point that I realized that, you know, you talk about the topic of your of the podcast. It's, that's when I realized that if this is ever going to happen, because faith has always been a really big part of my journey, um, yeah. But I realized at that point that if this ever happened, it's not something I'm going to take credit that I made happen by myself. It was only because I think God's got a bigger plan for me and he's out there looking out for me. So that's when I really came to my realistic terms of what it means to believe in something yeah. and to also know that whatever you believe in, you can't make it happen by yourself. You need an outside influence. And that's where God came in for me. So that was a very, uh, uh, very, very important time of my life. It Sorry, I digress. Like no, no, that was great. And you hit on so many important things. And 
the first one, which is at the end of all of that was we can't do anything alone. Right. And I talk about that a lot because a lot of people in my audience, and I know I've had this before too, like we were afraid to lean on people or we've had trauma mm -hmm. from relationships or childhood or whatever it is. And so it feels like I've got to be hyper independent. I've got to do this myself. And the reality is we literally cannot do anything without other people in some way. Nobody's ever more... designed like that. No. And yeah. The the sooner that you learn that and the more you learn to work with other people and to be vulnerable in that and surrendered in that, like the better. And another thing that you modeled really beautifully that we talk a lot about on this show is the power of decision. Yes. And I am I believe in taking leaps, but mm -hmm. I think where we can go wrong with that is when we take a leap with like that false mindset, which it sounds like yes. you kind of figured out. Like if I just do it, then the world will rush and catch me. Right. And that doesn't happen. It's more likely for you to find that that support to have that net to figure out the next step though, when you're committed to taking the step, which you were, you had no right. idea how you were going to do it. Right. But you were going to figure it out one way or another. And even, even having those conversations and being willing to be vulnerable and to express your emotions in that and to let people see like, I really want to be here and this is really important to me. And this is the risk that I took that I might end up having to go home if I don't figure it out. Like it's so, it's so beautiful. And I can only imagine how hard that was and maybe even uncomfortable, but I so appreciate you sharing all of that and modeling all of that because a lot of people are afraid of that. Like yes. you very easily could have been sent home and then you had to, yeah figure something else out, but you took the risk. And when we take those uh -huh. risks and we're committed and decided, the odds can't help but shift in our favor because you were willing yes. to take that leap where someone else might have been like, I don't have the money, never mind. You're right, right. And I think that I think a big part of that, and thank you for sharing that, is that um, unfortunately we grow up in these comfortable environments where we don't see a lot of people doing these things. And I think that for me, my privilege, if I had any privilege, was that I didn't have anything. And that allowed me to really stretch myself because I think in the place of all the information, if I knew exactly what it would take for me to get to my dreams or to achieve anything, I don't believe I would have started. I think not knowing everything that it was going to take for me was really a good motivation because I was only mm -hmm. concerned with the next step and yeah. to focus on that next step. And that step gets you to the point by the time you're looking back, you've stretched so far that you can't go back at any point. And so I think that um, it's society and culture and all of these things come in because uh, sometimes we get so comfortable with our environments that it's very difficult to just, you know, make the smallest of decisions. And I think that anybody that really wants to stretch has to get themselves to that point where comfortable doesn't look comfortable anymore. Mm -hmm. Or you, you, you have to shift your environments to really just, you know, aim a little higher than what's standard. And um, I think... For me, it was a lot of self-drive because I, I can imagine a situation if my parents like, like the stuff that I had to do, I don't know what parent would let their child just go to a different country when they don't have anything, you know? So it was the ignorance of me and my family not knowing really what this is all about and just basically taking a chance and relying on a 17-year-old giving them a chance like, oh, when I go over there, if I play well, somebody can sponsor me just looking at all the things that you wouldn't imagine, but I'm very thankful for, because I think, again, it goes back to my faith 
that is really where that invincible person comes in to me, which is God. It's like, if you're willing to really stretch you to those points, he's there to catch you. But in that absence, there's no movement. Like you have to really meet him at that very, sometimes very scary point. And it's not just about golf, it's really life. Uh, like you have to get to where it becomes, it stops being comfortable. You have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. And I think that's where outside forces come in. So it's, it's been a journey more than just pursuing a dream. It's really been like, okay, this is really what life is all about. Because at that point is really when I actually started writing. It's like, mm. I knew that if this ever happens, I'm going to want to share these experiences. So I started collecting notes. Like before I got to these meetings, I would just, some, it was like a divine inspiration. It's like, I have to write about this because everything, every little detail you could look at points to me not having a chance. I should, I don't belong in these places. Yeah. I don't belong in these positions. I don't have the ability and the capacity to sustain this, but I'm in these positions because I have nothing but my heart driving me into this. So that's where it really it got interesting for me. Absolutely. And again, you're modeling so many great things to so many people. And there's a few things I want to touch on the first, and you've shared this throughout our conversation, not having the resources, not having the means, not having the equipment and the shoes and the things that other people have and, and coming from a background where you learn to live with less and in many ways didn't even realize that you were. I know that there are a lot of people out there who feel like what makes what they want impossible is the lack of resource, is the lack of, I don't have the latest gear, I don't have the privilege. There's absolutely systems in play that limit certain people from right. progressing and hold them uh -huh. back and are harmful to them. And so I don't want to ever diminish that having the lack of resources or equipment or education or money or whatever it may be isn't a real obstacle because it absolutely right. is. And absolutely. depending on yeah. where you yeah. are and who you are, it's it's uh -huh. bigger and harder. And still what you've modeled so beautifully is that doesn't mean that it's impossible. Right. And I think it's, it's um, when you really consider that topic and look at all the intricacies of everything it takes, right? It's sometimes, and I think for me that really where I really understood gratitude is because when you can understand to make the very most of the least things, Anything you get, any advantage you get, you, th you see it as a privilege. So there's really no entitlement at that stage. And sometimes, again, it's cultural and sometimes environments and depending on where you are. Uh, once you've seen what, like, for instance, right now, there's so many different topics in culture in golf and politics. It's like, oh, you have to have been from this family. You have to have grown up with so much. Mm -hmm. You have to have had this to get into any of those schools. I never and I've never looked at life that way. My, my, my concept has always been that if I really feel that I can do something, I will push myself to do and focus on the things that I can manage within myself. Anything that's within, that's outside of my control, I, I really have no control over. But to the best of my ability, I will apply myself. If I felt like I wanted to get into Harvard right now, promise you I'll get into Harvard. Because I think it's, you have to, you have to get to the point where you realize that you are all you got. And sometimes we are in these positions where we have to, and there's a balance. We have to depend so much. It's very easy to make an excuse at any level, at any level. It's very easy to justify why you shouldn't do something. 
But I think I also learned it very early that in any conditions, if you think it's too hot in Texas right now to go outside, well, go outside, you're going to see somebody outside. If you think it's too cold in Minnesota, can wake out in the snow, go outside, you're going to see somebody doing the things that you don't want to do. And I, and I, and I think it's, you know, it's very easy to just play the blame game and just throw it at somebody else or throw it at a different thing that you don't have. And it's going to be justifiable. And I think it's because... Like the privilege of this culture, especially in the Western countries, is that even in the absence of really going for that one thing you really should go for, there's a decent, fairly comfortable fallback plan. You can you can end up working a regular job and you should still, you know, you can get by. Uh, in those environments, like for me, it's knowing that this chance, whatever the odds stacked up against me are, is worse than if I stayed at because I know that I didn't graduate with straight A student uh, as a straight, straight A student. I'm not going to get into the four four year program colleges in the country. Even when I do, the employment rate is five percent. So what what do I have to lose? It was a life and death moment for me. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm going to take this chance because whatever I have to face on this path is better than that being stuck here. Because I saw around me what the people that enough that even I consider myself privileged to even be involved in the game of golf because that that's what it did for me so it's perspective for the most part but also it's 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 really like developing and adapting that attitude of gratitude mindset very very early like you know like you can't think about what you don't have like yeah. we can spend the whole day talking about what we wish we had so um yeah so that's that's really where it comes from for me And you've talked about faith several times, and I love the conversation of faith because I feel like people don't always understand faith or have a strong relationship with it. So I'd love if you could share where that relationship came from for you and what faith really means to you. And also, was there any point at all where your faith wavered? This is the most important. This is the most interesting part of this conversation. I'll tell you that because faith means everything to me. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, but we, we, you know, you grew up in a Christian home without understanding what that really means. My journey of pursuing golf always got me to points where I had to wonder if there's God, because it always got me to points where I said, "If there's God, this is what." Like it was always like, "I need this." My parents can't provide me this. God, can you do something about this? So it always forced me to have conversation with myself, with my spirit within, and to dig deeper into that. And every time I got myself to the point where I was asking and exploring and really uh, being um, seeking for something outside of what I saw, uh, I seem to draw into this moment of peace and sometimes some some answers came through. And I think one of my very earliest memories was when uh, my dad's like, you know, we, we have started a competition today. Do not come to the golf club because I don't have the money for you to pay. I don't have the competition mm-hmm. fees. I don't have the resources for you to play. And I'm looking around. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. What am I going to do? I'm going to go to the golf club. And I go over there and I'm like, I'm going to say a prayer. Whilst I go over there and I say the prayer, I'm like, God, if you can hear me this, I really want to play golf today. My dad said he doesn't want me to go to the golf club, but if I get over there, can you just soften his heart? And somehow I still am praying this prayer and I get to the golf club and I see him like, he's like, what am I going to do with you? Go get your bag. You're playing today. And that's like, 
I was always stretching it. Now, um, you know, fast forward to what that has meant now is that we are living in very tough times and we are living in a very, in a different world right now. And I think that uh, in the absence of aspirations for a higher power, you really are so vulnerable. We have to draw our strength. If you look around right now, if you, had, if you, if you have to draw strength from what we see around, it's very depressing. And yeah. you have to get to the point where you have to believe in something high. And for me, my faith in Christ has been that foundation for me because it gives me perspective. And it's not just having a relationship that's just there. It's a relationship that I'm in constant search of. Um, every day I study the Bible. Every day I listen to sermons and having mentorship in that same field. I belong to a fellowship group that I meet with. Um, one of my biggest role models is Bill Rogers. Who was in who won the bridge opening in eighty one, and I meet with him once a week just for breakfast, just to talk about life. And I think it's really having the people that have similar interests, the people that are also either have achieved success, but they found ways to understand their definition is not in the success they've achieved. And these are people that are very humble and that are aiming higher. And it's for me being inquisitive and saying, so you achieve what anybody in this world would die for yet you're so humble yet you still do all these things what is it what has that like what, what, what makes it that way for you and it's having this very small very intimate conversation where somebody like that can look at me he's like listen it's my faith in god i want to know that type of god because like you know especially when you're younger when you're pursuing success you want to do this you are so all in by all means but these journeys sometimes get us to these breaking points where uh, it, it's, it can be very depressing. And sometimes it's when you're seeking success and you get to the point where it's like, oh, is this it? I thought, because the, the, the assumption of what we perceive success to be is very different from what it feels like when you get to that point. And, uh, and I've seen, there's so many stories, there's so many books about people that, you know, where like only lost friends, lost family in that pursuit and you get to this point and it becomes very lonely and they lose it. They've spent their entire life chasing something and you get to this point where it's like, oh, it doesn't feel any different. And you realize it's just appreciating the smaller things, faith, family, friends, all of these things. And in the absence of that, life is pointless. So I think it's just that, that perspective and using that drive to whatever I aspire to, to, aspire to get to in today, I really have to bring it back to perspective and understanding that the relationships that I have right now, my family, my wife, my kids, our family together is more important than any amount of success I can ever get. And, and being realistic in that because it's delusional sometimes because what we perceive success is very different from the reality of success. And that's, I think, where a lot of the big problems we, we see are coming from. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing all of that. I think faith is such an important thing. And there are a lot of people in my audience who believe in God. And there are a lot of people who believe in the universe or spirit or source or just the energy yeah. that is something yeah. bigger. And I have found for me, it's so important. I was raised Catholic, so I still use the language of God. Uh -huh. But yeah. I feel like I'm more spiritual now. And it, it really, to me, doesn't matter. It's having that faith in something greater and knowing that it's not on us as small humans in this mm -hmm. big world to know yes. everything and figure everything out. And I love that in the hard moments, rather yes. than spiral, and maybe there was doubt or fear or whatever it was, yes. but 
you leaned on that faith. Yes. And yes. I, I really believe purpose is my purpose and purpose is a big part of what we do in the company. Mm-hmm. When our desires and our goals and our visions for ourselves and our, our purpose path is anchored in purpose, which is rooted in a, a faith that is bigger than us and bigger than me yes. getting my shiny this or that, uh-huh. it does keep you humble and it keeps you yes. connected to what really matters. Yes, yes, and it's more important. It's, it's and, and you you say it perfectly because, and I think it's it's everybody gets to this point where you. I think the biggest thing for me is getting to the point where you find it for yourself. Nobody can find faith for you. Faith is a very intimate, personal journey, and you get to this point where through life, through heartbreaks, through pain, through so many of these things, where you realize that it could go away just that quickly, and you ask the one important question is. Oh, you really think you have control and you realize you have zero control. And at that point, you realize that you have to draw strength from something outside of your reach right now. And it's a very vulnerable point, very vulnerable moment. But if you can get to that point and draw to that strength, whatever anybody calls it, and I have respect for that, for me, I know what that is, the definition of that. And that's what is very important. And me and you can meet today on that level of connection and we'll speak the same language because we're yes. drawing from from the same from the same source, and it's just important. And I and I, I hope more people experience that. Uh, but that journey, nobody gets there from a very comfortable position. You have to have gone through pain. You have to have <laughs> found life. Like you have to have hit rock bottom. Something must have got you to where you realize yeah. you can't do it by yourself. And that's and that's the and that's the powerful thing, right? Like you know, in my Christian faith, uh, it took death for us to find the salvation that we have. Yeah. So, you know, it's 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 meant everything for me, and it's give it brings every everything back into perspective for me. And it, it you have to, you can't not be humble when you realize that you you could lose it just like that. You could be gone just like that. Uh, you're not all that, just like that. So, and and for me, just my background of having so many people, my book, Raised by the World, the title is because I realized that everything I've become did not just come from my own family and my own Bible. I was raised by the world because I met different people. They came through for me. Yeah. They did so much for me. So my perception of the world was global. People from different parts of the world I've shared into my life and they've made so much to me. And that's where it comes for me. So it's it's a long, extensive topic, but over and above, uh, faith is so important to me because I just know what it can do. And especially Absolutely. in today's time. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. And something that I really love about you as a person, your body of work, and it sounds like this has been a, a conscious awareness throughout your entire journey but the decision to give back, to give back to your country and to kids and to other people who didn't have the privilege or wouldn't otherwise have the privilege and the opportunity and the resources. And I would love to know, starting the foundation, I also want to talk about your writing in your book, but starting the foundation, at what point did you know that you wanted to do that? And was there anything about that in and of itself that was challenging or felt impossible? Um. It came very quickly. Um, it was because I realized that for me to get where I want to get, it's going to have to take other people to do something for me. 
And when I realized that I had to have a very realistic chance and conversation with myself to know that uh, I anything that we've been able to fortunately do for the foundation is everything I wish somebody did for me. So I was that kid that needed somebody to pay their school fees. I had the Lions Club pay for my primary education because we paid for uh, school fees when I was going to school from first to 12th grade. In seventh grade, uh, I won a tournament that was sponsored by the Lions Club and they paid for my entire year of school. They bought me school uniforms. And so I was that kid. And I think that, and, and it goes back again to that faith journey, uh, God gets us through these positions because we have to relate to people that experience the things we experience. And that's purpose, purpose and purpose, right? It's like everything that we ever aspire to do is things that I wish somebody did for me. So the decision to give back for me has been the easiest for me. It's because I know anything I have, any form of privilege that I have is not for me, is to make this world a better place. And um, to me, I've experienced, you know, I've experienced my fair share of success already, and I think that um, nothing is as fulfilling as the opportunity to see another person smile because of some of the actions yeah. we've been privileged to do. And it's, it's, I do that with absolute honor, and it's something that I'm really, really hoping, and we'll get to talk to, uh, about our next biggest project, but it's just the decision and the opportunity to give back cannot be compared to anything. I agree. I agree. And it's, again, when your desire is rooted in your purpose and you're purpose-driven, you inherently think of others and everything that you're doing because nothing is ever just about us. Yep. You become selfless. And it's it's really, uh, and I would have thought, I thought that's the easiest something, like, you know, everybody's like that. And and I get surprised every now and again, I have a conversation and you realize that sometimes you either run into people that don't think like that or don't just see it that way or are very self-centered and, and I can't relate to that because like to me that's what that's all I saw it was everybody helping each other like uh, but I think it's you know there's an advantage to having so much it's that it's never it 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 it, it hides away the opportunity for you to see the big picture of community uh, when you're growing up in those African countries and smaller countries where uh, you need your, your survival is dependent on either somebody in the community seeing you through for the last few days of the month or going to the neighbor's house to because you don't have a freezer to go and put your, free, your, your water in there so they can you know, give you some cold water or asking for salt, for instance, asking for eggs, uh, things like that. They, they make you realize very quickly that you survive by community and community makes everything work. Uh, but sometimes it's very difficult when you grow up in an environment like America, for instance, or these developed countries where you don't necessarily see that nobody needs anybody really, everybody is, you know, survives, they make good money and they do well. Um, it's very difficult to learn some of those very, very important life skills and values. So, um, but yeah, I think, you know, uh, we can't really control everything else. But for as much as we control, can control within our reach, we have to do what we have to do, which is, you know, make the world a better place. Yeah. And and let's talk about your book a little bit. I love that you were writing as you were going through the journey. I think documenting is so important. And I think that we have kind of confined that only to social media and it doesn't have to be that way. And, uh-huh. and maybe you're not out there wanting to write a book, whoever's listening, but documenting your journey can help you and can help other people. 
And so I love that you were doing that. And at what point did you realize that you were writing a book and how much of that actually ended up in your book? Almost all of it. It was um, um, from my, my, my time in England when I started recording these moments and these meetings. And it wasn't like really like saying, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write everything. It's basically like, I want to write just everything I feel right now. Like, I'm so scared to get into this meeting. Um, maybe like if I go into this meeting, I just show them that I'm really focused. I want to do this. Maybe they'll see it another way. Maybe the school will give me a pass or something like that. It's really just collecting all these moments and memories to me that felt very important. And um, as I started going around, but then also, um, so I finished my time in the UK, went back to Zambia, and we've gone through this struggle of me going to the UK, going through all the things that I, had, I went through, and I get to Zambia and I can't find work, and I'm back at my father's house. And it's depressing because a lot of the times when, you, when somebody leaves for the Western countries, you, you go for greener pastures and it's very instant. Everybody expects that you're coming back into wealth and you have everything you desire. Mm. So I went back, regular guy, no job, nothing happening. And I really hit this moment of depression. I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Like I put in my heart and soul, God, what's going on over here? And it's those relationships. I find work and I eventually uh, find a really good position in Zambia. And I'm doing well and very, very instinctive. Like I've always, I've always been very instinctive. Like I'm listening to the third person within me. What's that voice? What should I do? And it's having that voice telling me what I think I should do. To me now, I realize it's a spirit that's inspiring me to yes. take certain different actions. And the more of those actions I took, and seeing clearly now, because originally when I took that step to go to the UK, I didn't have anything. When I had the chance to come to America, I had everything, but I still had to obey that voice because I, it was just so strong for me. Yeah. But that voice meant going again, not, not having enough of what I did, what I had, and leaving a place of comfort. So it was two extremes from the beginning to the second, from the original moment to the second moment. And I went to my dad and he's like, oh, like, you must be crazy. Like, you are helping us. You're supporting us. Why would you go to America? You're going to have to go through the same things that you went through when you were in England. And it's those decisions that made me realize that I was called for more than just for mm. myself. And realizing that made me realize very quickly that at some point, my story is going to have to be shared with people. It's because I was making these very, very, very personal decisions, but affecting so much around me, affecting so much around me. And so uh, when I did that, that's when I seriously started putting the notes together. It was between, I want to say it was 2008, I started putting notes together uh, to 2020 when everything came together. It was such a long process, but things started making sense especially as I drew close to becoming a PGA golf professional, because I knew that if I ever become this, it needed to be a story to be told. And it, I didn't realize everything else that has happened after that. It never even dawned on me, but it was almost of that when you're so focused on the next step, right? Yeah. You put everything into that next step. And it's not until you get to that point that you realize and see, and you get the idea of what else is coming. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's God's way of protecting me and my vision. I thought, because like, if I really saw the whole picture, it would have been too much for me to even like, <laughs> Oh, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, getting to that point, 
that's really when I realized that, you know what, this is worth putting into a book. And I started putting all the resources together, asking questions. I remember when one of my first drafts, I sent it to this person. I found this online platform of people that you could edit your book. She's like, you have nothing over it. She's not like, sent me the worst email. And, and I was just laughing because at this point I had so much thick skins. Like nobody tells me what I cannot do. And, mm -hmm. um, and now to actually having the book published and looking at the people that have read the book and looking at the comments that I've got, the people, the stories that I've heard, people reading my book and I've shared some of them in my book. It's just, it's, it's an incredible blessing to experience. And it's very, it's, 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 it makes me very humble, but also extremely mm -hmm. very grateful because it's, it's a full circle moment. It's, it's definitely like it's nobody could have ever seen it. Absolutely. Well, tell everybody more about the foundation, where they can find you, how they can support any projects that are coming up that you're excited about and where they can find you online. We'll link to everything in the show notes, but I'd love for you to share. We'll share the, the, my online platforms, but everything is on my website, vincentcavasso.com. And um, every year we try. We, so the foundation, basically, um, we have operations in Zambia. Every month we host um, um, we host uh, a mentorship programs. So the biggest thing is, one of the biggest things I realized was that when I was growing up, we didn't have anybody telling me, this is what it takes to be a doctor. This is what it takes to be a lawyer. So we designed a program that runs every month. We scout two schools uh, from some of the least uh, uh, positioned uh, areas. And we host sessions every weekend, every Saturday. And we host a session and we just have a conversation with the kids. Um, who do you, what do you want to be? I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. And somebody would just go over there and they'll share the experience. This is what you have to do to be a lawyer. This is what wow. just open their minds up yeah. to what it takes for them to be what they want to be. And I think that's the conversation of what it be like, because like sometimes we, we have all these aspirations without really understanding what it takes. So we try to open kids up um, their mind that way. But we use, um, so the country manager running the foundation, my good guy, does a fantastic job. He was a volunteer originally when he came on board. He was, um, he was a student of the University of Zambia. And he came on a voluntary basis. Now he's grown on and he, he's graduated and he's working for us full time. And so we try to recruit all these college students because I think part of it is that they don't have so much to do outside of college. And I think that what we're trying to do is create a platform for them to use their time away from school most efficient and effective, which is we want them to come on board share their experience with some of these kids. I'm at the Investor of Zambia, for instance, I'm studying medicine. This is what I have to focus on. This is what I have to do. And then we'll give them a little allowance. And we try to do those things. And hopefully at some point, we're going to get into every school in, in the country. But we've, we've, we're proud of what we've done. We've, you know, we've had an impact on at least 5,000 kids right now. Wow. And uh, it's just, it's going to go on for as long as, you know, uh, we can support it and my wife and I, primarily support that. Uh, last year, I did a very interesting challenge. I did the ice dive in Minnesota to try and raise money for that same, uh, same course. So every now and again, we'll have events to fundraise, but primarily just my wife and I just use, you know, whatever God has blessed us with uh, to channel to that good cause. So powerful. Thank you for sharing. Yes, we will link to everything. And Final question for anyone in the audience who's trying to do something that feels impossible because of circumstance, lack of resource, belief, whatever it may be, what's a piece of advice you would leave them with? 
it would be that um, anybody, and I believe this strongly, anybody that's achieved any any success of any worth and not had to do something they think they couldn't do. Nobody has ever got to any position thinking they had everything they could do within themselves. So doubt is normal. Um, fear is normal. Insecurities are normal. But the difference is the people that actually go beyond those things and actually take the step to, to do something about it. And, um, and, and we're living in an age, age of information right now. So it's really finding the right people that can motivate you to that process. My thing is reading. I, I want to read the books that resonate with me and my journey and the people that have done the things that I want to do. So um, nothing is ever impossible. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's about the mind and your heart and, and just the ability to make a decision. It's, uh, it's one thing to desire to do all of these things, but actually being able to make the decision, that's really where it comes to. So I think that um, that's really what I'd say. Yes, I agree 100%. Thank you so much for being here, for taking the time, for sharing so many aspects of your story and your work and who you are. I really, really appreciate it. Stephanie, this was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today and being a part of our incredible community of purpose-driven individuals. If you are ready to put these teachings into practice in your own life, head on over to www.stephaniezamora.com slash podcast, where you'll get access to our collection of actionable and easy to implement workbooks. That includes our renowned methodology for making the impossible inevitable that's helped hundreds of individuals worldwide get into motion on their most important goals. Plus our comprehensive guide to stopping self-sabotage and navigating the terror barrier with more grace and ease. We'd love your help in getting the message out and growing our community. So please take a moment to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes. I'll catch you in the next episode.